0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12, as you turn there, let me say I praise the Lord for Jim and the great job he does uh, moderating our services and and sharing uh, <clears throat> announcements and taking prayer requests, and it takes a lot off of me uh, as the pastor to uh, have somebody there that can fill that role and, and do it so so well. I appreciate him. I thank the Lord for him. Hebrews chapter number 12, you know, last Wednesday night, we began a, a little short thought on what we need for two thousand and twenty. And uh, there's no doubt a lot of things that we need uh, in 2020. But if we were to boil them down and sum them up in about two or three things that it's going to take for 2020 to be what God desires for it to be, uh, then then I think we can, we can name these two or three things. And last week, we talked about the faith that we needed for 2020. And it's already been said even this evening in the testimonies and, and prayer requests, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. If we want 2020 to be a year that pleases Him, we're going to have to live this year by faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And tonight, with the Lord's help, I want us to uh, consider another thought another element, another ideal that's going to be needful for 2020 to be what it needs to be for the Lord. Uh, Hebrews chapter number 12, let's begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we do thank you for this Opportunity to be together, I pray that you'd take the holy and Aaron infallible, preserved word of God, and that you 'd wield it tonight it 's your sword we know you 're capable, Father of wielding it effectively. Help us to be fit subjects for this process. Help us to have our hearts submitted to you and our minds submitted to you and our lives, our plans, our aspirations, our will Lord, help us to take our pride and nail it to the cross tonight that you Father might be able to deal with us in a meaningful way and we 'll Be sure to give you the glory. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in last uh, Wednesday night, we talked about the faith that we need. But tonight I want you to notice a phrase that's given in verse number two. And if the Lord will help us, we're going to look at every portion of these four verses tonight. But notice particularly what verse number two says. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In other words, that's where our gaze needs to be. That's where our sight needs to be fixed. And if I can give you this word tonight, and it's what I want to preach on, I want to preach on the focus that we need for 2020. Anything, if it's to be done well, requires focus. Uh, they've done studies about how our ability to perform a task is impaired when we begin to multitask and when we begin to try to do other things at one time. Uh, you know, right now my kids are little and uh, a lot of times the work I do, I'll do from home. It's administrative work and, and uh, you know, uh, laboring in the Word and stuff. And I can vouch for this, that it's a lot harder to do those things with a two-year-old sitting on top of your head. Amen. It, it requires focus in order to get anything meaningful accomplished. Now, there are some things that you can do and have a two-year-old sitting on top of your head, but, but there are some things that require focus. And I think most of us, we have ideas in our heart and mind about how we want 2020 to be. Not in January of 2020, but in December of 2020. I think a lot of us are looking forward to the next 12 months and, and asking God to help us make this year, what it needs to be. And and most of us would say, I believe, if I asked, I think it's reasonable to expect that most people would say, yeah, preacher, I want to finish well in 2020. I don't just want to start off well. A lot of people start off well. And the illustration is given here of a race. Hey, man, everybody starts off the race well, but only one person finishes it well, at least as it relates to the accomplishment, the, the winning of that race. And there's a lot of people have committed to start well. And that's good. You can't finish well if you don't start well. But just because you start well does not mean you'll finish well. In fact, it will take focus over this next year if you're going to, to finish well. You're going to have to stay focused on the Lord. There's a lot of folks that right now are focused on the Lord that won't be in four months. There's a lot of folks that right now you've started your your, your Bible reading plans for the years. I hope you have. God bless you if you have, and and you've committed to reading every day and praying every day, and and you've started. Well, where are you going to be in four months? I can tell you, if you don't stay focused, you will not be in four, five, six months doing what you are so faithfully doing today. It's going to require focus. Uh, in order to accomplish what the Lord wants us to accomplish. Now, uh, let me make this distinction before we get into the preaching, because the Bible here in these four verses gives us several things that are necessary or processes for maintaining focus. And can I just go ahead and dispel something that I think is a great misnomer? And I have to learn this even in, in my own parenting. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, me and my wife, we're raising two precarious, loud mouth, high-energy little boys. And it's a struggle sometimes to, to get them focused on something. And uh, especially with, with Lawrence, when I'm teaching him things, when I'm trying to help him learn things, one of the greatest challenges is just, Son, stay focused, stay focused, pay attention. And I'm reminded when I come to this portion of the Word of God, and it's a fit lesson for me, and I trust it will be for you as well, that focus is not merely a matter of force of will. Now, there has to be a force of will in order to have focus. You have to be committed to pay attention, committed to stay on track, committed to be focused. But point in fact, there are several things that it takes in order to foster an environment of focus. I'll tell you this, that if I'm trying to teach my little boy how to do something, and I've got the TV on with his favorite program. Or I've got a box of Legos sitting over there in the corner, just waiting to be scattered all over the place. Or or if I maybe I've got a, a candy bar sitting on the floor somewhere around him or sitting on a table right beside him, I can tell you his focus is harder to hold with those distractions around. And in fact, a lot of times when we learn this as as little children in school, I mean, there's a reason school is a boring place. There's a reason the only posters they put on the wall are informational. Amen. Because they figure that's what it'll take to keep kids from getting distracted and reading them. And if they get distracted and read them, well, maybe they'll learn the periodical table or something at the very least. You see, we, we create an environment conducive. To focus. And you even in your job, in your workplace, if you work with a computer, uh, it's likely that the people, the IT department at your work, blocks out certain social media websites and and video streaming websites because they're trying to keep you focused. They don't put you in an environment where it's easy to lose focus and then just say, now, keep your focus. Instead, they do what is necessary to create an environment where it's easy to stay focused. You see, focus does require a force of will, but it's not merely a force of will. And I think a great many of us, you know what we're running on right now? In the first two, three weeks of January, we're running on force of will. And the question about whether we'll stay faithful to the Lord, stay focused on him is going to be dictated not by whether we want to stay focused. We probably all do, but whether we'll do the things necessary to remain focused on the work of the Lord. You see, it takes preparation and it takes diligence. And in that respect, I see three things in this passage three processes or avenues through which we can maintain focus. Notice the first with me in in verse number one. The Word of God says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, here in a few moments, we'll consider the analogy of of the race that Paul is using in this passage. But let me just point out that the first thing Paul says is if you want to stay focused on the Lord, if you want to stay focused in His work, there's going to be some things you're going to have to put away. There's going to be some things you're going to have to get rid of in your life if you want to stay focused. And I jotted it down this way. We are to maintain focus through purity. A great many people will be derailed. They'll get their eyes off of the Lord in the next few months. And it won't be because they don't love the Lord. And it won't be because they all of a sudden decide that they have something better to do with their life than live for God. But there will be sins and temptations and things that allure them away from the commitments that they've made and kept for the past few months. You see, we're going to have to get some purity in our life if we're going to stay focused. Notice three simple thoughts here. Notice first off the testimony that behooves us to be pure. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, I know a lot of people have read this verse and and have liked to imagine heaven to be a grand fishbowl and our loved ones are sitting up there and they're looking down and scrutinizing everything we do. And I do believe that people in heaven are aware to some degree of what is transpiring on the world stage. That seems to be apparent in the book of Revelation. Uh, there's, uh, there's people that have been martyred that are crying out for God to uh, exact vengeance upon those that have slain them. So, I mean, it's apparent they have some awareness. But uh, you want this preacher's opinion. I believe that people in heaven got a lot better things to have their eyes upon than our day-to-day life. Now to what measure and degree those things balance I do not know but I will tell you this that whether uh, that interpretation that ideal whether it's true or not that's not what this passage is talking It's not saying that everybody up in heaven is looking down upon us, and we can't let them down. Listen, there's already somebody in heaven that does behold us, who we ought to be deeply concerned that we don't let down, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't listen. I don't need Mamaw watching over me to keep me straight. I don't need Papa watching over me to keep me committed to the Lord. I got Jesus watching over me. I deserve. He deserves for my every ounce of diligence. I don't think that's what the Hebrews writer is saying. Don't get mad at me. If you see it, if I, uh, the, I ain't mad at you for being wrong. Don't be mad at me for being right. Amen? I, I, I Don't get mad at me, but I don't believe that's what it's talking about here. Rather, I think it's saying that as it has gone through the, the sort of catalog of Old Testament characters, people of faith, and said, you know, they obtained a good report. What does that mean? They had a testimony means the people around them, God in heaven and the people on earth, people were beholding the way that they were living and they had a good testimony to the people that were around them. Uh, Listen, these are people who Paul says of whom the world was not worthy. The world beheld them and the world uh, watched them, but the world was not worthy of them. And they, by faith, had a good report, had a good testimony to the people that were around them. In the same respect, you and I, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Just as they had people watching them, we have people watching us. And can I remind you of something? That people this year are going to be making their mind up about what they think, what they believe, about the God that we worship, about the Christ that we claim, relative to whether or not we remain focused on the Lord. We got a testimony, man. Uh, it's it's worthwhile. You got Everybody in this room has one. It may be better, it may be worse, it may be in good repair or good condition, it may be in disrepair. But every one of us has a testimony and it behooves us, because of that, to walk purely before the world. To walk purely before those that are watching us. So, he just right out the gate, he says, listen man, folks are watching you. Keep focused on the Lord because your life affects more than just you. And it indeed affects, your life indeed affects more than just you, just your spouse. You have people watching you. So he talks about the testimony that behooves us. And then he points to the temperance that befits us. He says, let us lay aside every weight. Now, he's not talking about those winter pounds that we've put on while we've been in hibernation. But rather, he's saying things that might be considered an impediment. This is the temperance that befits us the self-control that is necessary to maintain purity. Now, while I think we need to be careful about trying to create whole categories of of right and wrong based out of one passage of Scripture, I I do believe that there is a distinction between the weight and the sin for a reason. I I believe that Paul is here talking about, especially as it relates to the analogy of a runner who would do everything necessary to streamline his physique, uh, would do everything necessary. You know this probably and have heard it before, but in the ancient Olympic Games that uh, upon which Paul would have been referencing when he talked about running a race, they would often perform the games nude because they didn't want anything, with clothing or, or anything that could add weight or catch wind or prevent them in any way from performing or uh, achieving their goal. And he's saying, listen, we need to have that same dedication, that same diligence, that we, we cease to look at our life merely in terms of what is catastrophically wicked and begin to look at our lives in terms of what is effectual and what's beneficial. Hey, listen, if your only question about the decisions you make in life is what can I get away with, with God, you know what you'll find? You'll find out that you can get away with more than, than you really should. And you'll find out that your life will never be anything that can amount to anything or count for anything for God. God is very long-suffering. And you'd be amazed what you can do that God won't smite you down over but He will allow you to make shipwreck your life because He will not intrude in upon your own free will choices. And I'll tell you this, that people that want to live right up next to the line, right up next to the line, they are in prime location for Satan to push them right over that line the moment that he gets the opportunity. Hey, it takes temperance. It takes self-control. It takes a willingness to look at our lives and quit simply saying... What, listen, what in my life is, is so catastrophically wicked or evil or sinful? And begin to say, how can I best fit my life and situate my life to be used of God in the greatest way? Uh, there might be things in our life that are not necessarily categorically sinful, uh, but those very things. And by the way, can I give you one short, just quick scriptural example? And that's the rich young ruler. God isn't against people having a bank account, Right? God isn't against people having money. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, the, the only street that, that's going to uh, roll through the New Jerusalem is paved with gold. I, God is not against people having uh, money. and God's not against people having financial well-being. But for that young man, his finances kept him out of heaven and had him headed to hell. They were a weight. They were not a sin. It wasn't wrong for him to own those things, but they were a weight. And they were such a weight that whenever he had the choice between casting away dependence upon and faith in his riches and seeking only to have faith in Jesus Christ, when he had to choose betwixt those two, he went away sorrowful. He walked off the pages of Scripture and to our knowledge, walked into eternal damnation. And it was over riches, which in and of themselves are not necessarily wrong. That was a weight. I'm saying these weights they can hinder us in a big way. So he talks about the temperance that befits us. And then the next phrase, the sin which doth so easily beset us. He talks about the temptations that beset us. Now, to beset something means to set it to the side, to shelf it, to put it on the shelf. Some of us have already done that with our treadmills. Somebody say amen to that. They've become, they've become clothes holders, haven't they? Most expensive towel rack you got in your house, amen? Set it to the side. Just put it away. Just just disregard it. And you know, sin in your life and mine, it can do that to us. It can sideline otherwise capable and effective Christians. I will tell you that as somebody that is surrounded by preachers and people that are ministry-minded and people that are used of God, I could give you name after name after name after name of preachers, some of them the most capable, the most, the most uh, if we can use this word, talented or skilled, capable orators, brilliant scriptural minds, and they're not being used of God today because they allowed some sin in their life that they refused to get right, that they refused to address. And it beset it set them to the side. It put them on the shelf. I think there's a fair argument made uh, to be made that even in Paul's life, there came a time when God had to put him on a shelf and couldn't use him in the way that he so desired. I'm I'm saying this: you're never going to keep focus while you're playing with sin. All of us, we all from time to time fall prey to temptations and to sin. And there is certainly not one that is fit and righteous to cast stones. But there's a vast difference. Between having momentary lapses and slips, there's a vast difference between being a human being and fostering and nurturing and giving shelter to some besetting sin in our life. Something that God's dealt with us over and over about and we know it's wrong and we refuse to address it. If you harbor those things in your life, if you hide iniquity in your heart, then go ahead and just mark it down. You're not going to finish 2020 Well. We've got to create an environment. And if I could use this alongside the little illustration I told about my son, those things were temptations that had to be removed in order for his focus to be set right. Some of them might be things that uh, it was okay for him to have at a certain point. Some things might be things that it was never okay for him to have. But all of them were things that because they were present in his field of view and in his mind, they kept him from maintaining focus. Some of us, we got some things we've got to get rid of in our lives. So I see that we are to maintain focus through purity. And then let us notice the end of verse number uh, one. The Bible says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We are to maintain focus not just through purity, but we're to maintain it through patience. It takes a certain measure of patience to maintain focus. You know why that is? Because the very fact that we're required to maintain that focus denotes that the reason for which we are practicing focus has not reached its culmination yet. If it had, we'd have no further need for focus. We'd just jettison focus. But the fact that we have to strive and purpose and practice to stay focused on something, it implies the reality that whatever it is we're trying to achieve, we've not got there yet. Now, what is our goal here, at least in the purview of what we're talking about? It's to end 2020 well, and it's going to take patience. You know why? Because 2020 is a year like every other year in that it's got three hundred and actually sixty six days. It's a longer year than most years, but that doesn't pass, even though it'll feel like this year has passed by the time we get to the end. It's not something that we experience just in a matter of a few hours or a few days or even a few weeks. So we're going to have to have patience. As we wait to see God bring uh, to fruition the faithfulness of our life. Notice first off the pace that's required. It says, let us run with patience. In other words, the idea behind it is that the race before us is not a quick race. It's not a 50-yard dash, but it's more likened to a marathon. And time you're going to, this is, this is well, i got a lot of reasons I don't run. Amen. But this is one of the reasons that, uh, that I don't run is I lack that ability to keep pace. Uh, Listen, if I'm getting chased by a bear, I can probably make 25 yards pretty quick. I might fall down and die, but I can probably make... you all right tonight? But I, I can probably make those first 25 yards pretty quick. But maintaining the pace that's necessary to run a race faithfully is an entirely different thing. Professional runners would tell you that it requires pace setting if you're going to run a long distance. Now, when I say pace, that's not to imply a lack of diligence, dedication, or devotion to the race that you're running. But it is to suggest the recognition that there's many miles in front of us and that we do not have to feel as though the entirety of the race has to be run in the next 15 steps. Let me tell you, if we're going to finish 2020 well, I'm not trying to pour cold water on your your, your excitement uh, for the Lord. I'm not saying you need to measure or degrade your level of passion in living for the Lord. But I am saying this, recognize that it's probably easier right now than it will be in five, six months. The decisions you've made, the commitments you've made, it's easier right now than it probably will in four, five, six months. Uh, for some, these months are very, very hard. You know, there's a lot of sickness, there's a lot of things going on. But I, I think most of us recognize that uh, as we get into the middle of the year, life gets a lot busier. As it gets warmer and outside chores become a reality and, and, and social interactions and, and obligations become more prevalent, uh, the year is going to get a little more crowded. We're in that lull between January 1st and, and you know, probably about time change in, in early March. And it's a time when for some it's just easier to make these commitments. It's not going to stay that way. And you need to recognize that the level of commitment that you have right now, the pace at which you're running right now is easier to maintain now than it will be later. It's not an an advocating of of metering or measuring your commitment to the Lord, but it, it is advocating that you acknowledge that there are more difficult times coming as it relates to maintaining these same commitments. Uh, you need to recognize that right now, while the year is fresh, while the commitments are fresh, uh, it's a little easier to get up and read that Bible fifteen minutes uh, before you leave for work. It's a little easier uh, to get up and spend some time alone with God. It's a little easier uh, to, to, to will yourself to be in the house of God uh, on Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. But I'm saying it's, there's going to come times when it's going to get tougher, and so you need to recognize it. It requires a pace. There's a pace that's required, but there is a persistence that's required. He says it is a race. And I just jotted down this simple thought. I'm not going to labor it, but I do want to mention it. You know, a race is not over till the finish line. There are a lot of sports competitions and, in fact, athletic metaphors that could be used that would not communicate and convey this thought. Now, it is true what we say that it's not over till it's over. But there are certain measures and matters of accomplishment and achievement in certain areas of sports. I mean, uh, listen, if a a man uh, on a basketball court is able to score 40 points in a game, well, that's got him 40 points closer uh, to a win. And even if they eke out a, a loss, people will still acknowledge the diligent effort that that man put in. The stats will still be recorded. But at the end of the day, no one cares about who loses a race. It takes persistence. And this thing's not over until the finish line. I'm not saying you don't have to start well to finish well, but I'm saying it ain't your starting well that people are going to remember. How many people uh, think back with fond memory on all of the commitments that they've broken in their life? How many people brag about all the promises that they made God and then broke? It's not the things that we remember and it's not the things that we laud. The things that we, uh, that we laud and remember are the persistence the accomplishment, the achievement. There's persistence required. I don't say it to discourage you, but I do merely mean to say that you've not made 2020 count. You can't say you've made it count until you get to the end of December and can look backwards over a faithfully run race this year. I see the persistence required, but then I see the priority that's required. It says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The image is of a runner that has his own lane to run in. And it's not to say that the race others are running is of no consequence to him. But it is to say this. It doesn't matter whether somebody else has beaten you. It doesn't matter whether you're beating somebody else. There's the same amount of steps on your course regardless. And so all you have to be focused on is doing what God has called you to do and doing it well. A lot of people will lose their focus this year because they'll get their focus off the Lord and put it on somebody else. Uh, they'll put it on a, a preacher. They'll they'll put it on a, a Christian they know. They'll put it on a blood relation or a, or a friend or a, a coworker. They'll get their eyes off of the impeccable one. They'll get their eyes off of the infallible one. They'll get their eyes off of Jesus and get their eyes on to some demons that they found. And and that'll derail them. Said so, preacher, what do I do? Keep your eyes on the lane in front of you and on the finish line ahead of you. You don't have to worry about what everybody else does. I've never met anybody that was in everybody's business that was ever happy with their own business. I've never let me say that again. I've never met anybody that was in everybody's business that was happy with their own business. Anybody I've ever met that was paying more attention to somebody else's business than their business was never content doing their business. It always prevented them from maintaining focus. So I see that we maintain focus through patience. And finally, and I'm done tonight. Let me say that we maintain focus through perspective. All of this settles down to this one singular thought. It says, looking unto Jesus. How do we do all this? We do this by looking unto Jesus. Who is He? Well, He's the author and finisher of our faith. We've got to keep the proper perspective to maintain focus. Uh, if, we don't, if we don't have a good grasp of the race that we're running, of the things that are expected of us, of what we want. And I'll tell you this, that uh, when, you, when you fail to plan, You could say it back, you plan to fail. When you you fail to keep your eyes on the Lord and fail to have a clear understanding of what's expected of you, then you're planning to fail. What what do we need to keep our eyes on Jesus concerning? Well, I, I noticed three things. Let me give them to you quickly. Verse number two says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, what does that phrase author and finisher mean? Well, the term author, it means he's the captain. He's the forerunner. He's the trailblazer. He is the one that has gone ahead and before. And when it says that He's the finisher of our faith, it means He is the perfecter. He's the one that brings to consummation. Uh, The same way that the book of Revelation calls Him the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning. He's the ending. He's the author and finisher of our faith. But what exactly does that mean when it says our faith? I believe that there are two understandings. I believe there's a primary and a secondary application. I think the primary application when it speaks of our faith is it means our body of faith, our way of communicating with God. In other words, knowing God, the doctrine that we preach, the belief system that we are adherents in. He's the author. He's the finisher. He's the trailblazer. He showed us that a man uh, could get to God through righteousness in his, or through faith in his righteousness. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. He sat down at the right hand of God the Father. He made it there. He ran the race. And He finished it. He's the finisher, meaning that He is the perfect standard of our faith. That He is the one. And by the way, that's not to suggest that we are to be able to replicate His example in exactitude. But it is to say that we are able to share in His personage. Share in His victory. Share in what He's done. In His life, He's the author and finisher. But let me say in our life, and this is the secondary application, in our life He's the author and finisher. And I wrote it down this way. We're to maintain perspective on the sovereignty of Jesus. He, he's, he's the one that started. He hath begun a good work in us. And He'll perform it under the day of Christ. He's started a good thing in us. And He will bring to consummation or bring to completion that good work in our life. In other words, you say, preacher, what do I need to keep my perspective on as I maintain focus? Recognize that, listen, it's God that's birthed this desire and commitment in your heart to make 2020 be what it ought to be. And he has the wherewithal. He has the means to perform that. Not just to the day of judgment. Of course, to the day of judgment. But you know what that also includes? That also includes the last day of 2020. In other words, He's capable. He's able to get us there. He's able to do this work in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, Listen, if you don't believe God's able to keep you faithful, I'll tell you, you cannot keep faithful on your own. You've got to believe that God's in control of this next year. You've got to believe that, that He has an expected end in mind for you in this next year. So we keep perspective on the sovereignty of Jesus. Not only that, but on the success of Jesus. He does indeed give us an example. It says, Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, that means He did not live for the present suffering, but for the prospective glory. He recognized that if he wanted to uh, sit down on the right hand of the throne of God with the work of the Father having been completed and with the will of the Father underway and with the plan of God for the redemption of humanity uh, secured, if he wanted to do that, the path for that lay through the cross. He was going to have to endure the cross, though he did indeed despise the shame if he wanted to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God and having finished His Father's work and His Father's will. You know, it's a reminder to us as we maintain perspective that if 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 there were times that even Jesus had to maintain focus, that He had to set His face like a flint towards Jerusalem, that he had to say, uh, you know, for this hour came I into the world. What shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? Uh, to this, uh, For this cause was I born. I, I came unto this hour for this purpose. If there were moments in the life of the Lord where he had to look past the immediate, present, unpleasant, unpalatable determination and diligence and experiences that were required in order to do the work and will of God. If even he had to do that, then don't you reckon we're going to have to do it too? Doesn't that mean that in this next year there may be times when it's not easy, but it's still right? But I want to say that again. I, 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 I might just sit up here for the next 40 minutes and say that phrase over again. There will be times when it is not easy, but it's still right. It being right does not mean it will always be easy. And in fact, I think a fair argument could be made that it being right sometimes uh, denotes the fact that it will be hard. But just because it's not easy, that doesn't mean it's not right. He knew what was right, though it was not always easy. And he left us an example of suffering. We need to keep our perspective on the suffering of Jesus. Look at what it says in verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now, this segues into a discourse on the chastening of God and I don't think it can really be divorced from that greater context, but I will merely point out one simple thing. The Hebrews writer says, hey, if Jesus was willing to go through all of that for you, if he was willing to endure such contradiction of sinners against himself, and he was willing to suffer in that fashion, and in the suffering through that fashion, God exalted him, and that, and I would say this, as a Bible believer, the end of his life, you know, Solomon himself said that the end of a thing's better than, than the beginning. That's what he wrote. That's what the preacher in Ecclesiastes wrote. The end of a matter's better than the beginning. The end of the life of Christ was better than the beginning. Now I understand his life is without end. Spiritually, eternally speaking, but I'm talking about those 33 and a half years that he walked this earth. As illustrious as the as as the cradle was, the cross was even more meaningful, and and the crown that he wears is even better. And if he, through suffering, through that, God was able to bring such fruit, such impact, such salvation and redemption through his life. Though he suffered, he was willing to then in our life, as we look ahead to this next year in front of us, we need to be mindful. We may have to go through some suffering. We may have to experience some things that are unpleasant. We may have to go through some things that we didn't pray for or ask for. But if Jesus can go through those things, and if He's willing to be both the author and finisher of our faith, then surely you and I can also maintain faithfulness, diligence, stay in our lane, stay headed the right direction, keep our eyes on the finish line, and maintain focus through perspective. Reminding ourselves that God's not asked us to do anything that He Himself did not do. And He'll give us the the diligence, the focus, the faithfulness that we need. Let's bow together tonight as a musician. Comes to the piano, the altar is open. And I don't know what God may have dealt with you about, but I do ask that you just be obedient to Him. Man, if we'll all obey the Lord, we'll, we'll be right. We'll be where we need to be. As a church, as individuals, we'll just keep our our focus upon Him and our hearts and minds submitted to Him. Lord, bless this invitation. May it glorify Your Son. We ask it in Jesus' name.